How's it going? CWF Blackout is back at the Rhode Island Author Expo. We've been talking about this for weeks now, and here we go. We are here all day long. If you happen to be in the uh, Rhode Island area, this is at the Crown Plaza Ballroom in Warwick. Come on down. It's a free event. Tons of books here, including my next guest, author and comedian Allison O'Donnell joins me. Allison, thank you for uh, being here. Thank you for having me. All right. So, so you've got two books here. Uh, we definitely want to want, definitely want to talk about uh, both of those. But I want to talk a little more about comedy because you've been doing that uh, since '92, so a very long time. Um, I was five. That's right. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say a very, very young comedian. Um, how did you get into that? Uh, I think it runs in my Irish blood, but um, I was always curious about it. And then uh, I took a comedy class with Frank O'Donnell, Frank O'Donnell's boot camp. No relation as far as I know. I think back there we are related because he's got the family mole. I guarantee we are related at some point. Looks just like my late dad. But anyway, um, I, I had to do a five-minute set at the end of the class at the old Periwinkles. And Frank said, stick with it. You're a natural. So I did, and I built some skills, and, and people decided to pay me for it. Okay, a five-minute set doesn't sound like obviously a long time, but I know from other comedians that it can be a lifetime. <laughs> What goes into sort of developing what your sets would be? Because I imagine you can't just wing it. Well, you're winging it at first, and you see what works, and you keep what works, and toss what doesn't, and keep trying to build upon that. Cool. So eventually you've got seven minutes and ten, and then you're a headliner at 40 for an hour. Really? Have you um, uh, gotten up to uh, at that point? I did not. I, I stopped uh, in, in 2000. Uh, 1999 to have a family, and so I just got back into it a few years ago, and then COVID hit, so I am now getting back into it again. I do have a show on uh, the 11th at the uh, Park Theater in Cranston. Oh, very cool. Yeah, tickets are $10. <laughs> <laughs> Mention my name, so I get you know, the kudos. There you go. There you go. Um, what's like being back in comedy after so many years out of it? It's very different. The world has changed, as you know, and the new norm in comedy is uh, there are so many more comedians. Back in the day, I was a household name because there weren't too many women doing it. And now, there's just this oversaturation of, you know, you've got a comedy showcase of 12 people here, down the road, another 12 comedians performing, so uh, it's tough. You know, I'm, I'm given seven minutes because I'm a veteran instead of five minutes. And, uh, you know, working my way back into the scene, I don't do it a lot because I'm also focused on the author thing now. Sure, yeah. So I spread myself out but try to stay relevant. Is it hard to be a comedian these days? Because I know, of course, like cancel culture and whatnot, people are paying a lot more attention to what you're saying, and, of course, they're spreading it around. I think the comedians who have the guts to be themselves do get the laughs still. But it's dangerous. There, there is that cancer culture, culture, cancer culture. Sorry, um, and you know everybody's so hurt these days. Uh, every little thing, you have to be so sure. careful. So if you do the self-deprecating thing, what can they say? Right? Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> they can say, "Oh, that's not that, that's probably uh, not true." Nobody wants to date me. I hate to be the typical female and talking about. Sorry, boyfriend is pretty much what we're limited to. So I try to, you know, break out of the, the female cliche mold. I got you. All right. So speaking of dating, uh, one of your books is called um, 
uh, Stupid Cupid, and this is a survivor's guide to online dating. All right. That so is something you do survive, though, I think. It is exactly what it sounds like. This is 100 really awful, I can't make this crap up, dates that I have been on. And so, you know, you learn what's out there and don't have to suffer as I did if you read this and, you know, put this practical stuff to use. Here's what people really mean when they say or do X, you know. And I, everybody I talk to says, oh, my God, I could write my own book. So it's a thing, you know. It's, you really have to kind of weed through, you know, the needle in the haystack is out there, but you got to weed through the weeds. What's the worst one you've, been, you've ever been on? The worst? Oh, God. So tough to narrow that down. I know, right? Um, the, the first one that comes to mind is, uh, you know, because they all want to kiss you goodnight. And... and and you say, okay, just a quick kiss, and yet they have to slip the tongue anyway. So this one guy uh, had taken me for appetizers, and I actually did agree to see him again. But when he went for the quick kiss goodbye and slipped me the tongue, his dentures dislodged, and a piece of meat ended up at the back of my throat. And oh, I, God. Um, yes. That's... Yeah. Was was there a second date? Um, there wasn't, only because he was so embarrassed. He kept calling me and saying, "Are you sure? Are you sure you want? To, are you sure you want?" Oh, and I said, "You know what? Yeah. I, I probably not." Yeah, <laughs> you, you can't be that beggy about it. Yeah, it's like, are you sure? It, yes, leave it. it. Confidence is sexy. Yeah, Any exactly. man will tell you that in a woman. Yeah. He likes that in a woman, so it's so the same here, for women. Well, anything else? Just be confident and be yourself. That's all you got to worry about. Exactly. Don't 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 try so hard. <laughs> exactly. I don't. <laughs> or don't apologize so hard, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like apologize and walk away. That's all you got to do. Um, did you ever make it work with someone? Did you ever like get on in like um, um, online date that actually lasted? Um, there was one, and I ended up being impregnated and giving up the comedy career for 15 years. <laughs> It probably never should have happened, but then I wouldn't have my daughter and my three grandchildren, so it, it worked out for the best. But um, then no for a long time, and then I gave it up, and I swore that I would never do it again. But, uh, you know, something told me, give it one more try, and I did, and I met somebody wonderful, and we've been together for a year and a half. Nice. So at the end of the book, I say, to date, I have not met, you know, that special person, but... Now I have. Updated. That was 2017. <laughs> yeah, I need to do the, the re-release. Uh, yeah, I'd yeah. like to do that. But so, what made you want to just put all these stories together? It was burning in my brain. The second yeah. book, the children's book, because I have genre ADD and can't keep it straight, um, was supposed have, to come out first. You have first. range. That's what they call it. You have yeah. range. This book, you know, Gizmo died 2000. Uh, well, 20 years ago, and. Um, I thought that it would be my first, but because this book was just so at the forefront, I decided this needs to be first. Yeah. And it took me two years. So then I got to write The Adventures of Gizmo, but I had to get Stupid Cupid out there. Yeah. Especially since it's so timely. I mean, everybody's oh, doing yeah. the online dating sure. thing now, so it's Everyone's growing. using like their Tinder or their Bumble or their whatever these days, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Alright, let's talk about this one because I'm curious as to how this kind of just connects with you. Okay, so um, as a single lady, I had the dog and he was my child and we went everywhere together including when I was a letter carrier, he came with me on the route and made friends and delivered some mail for me and 
you know, across the street with or without me on command. He was just super smart and super incredible. So much so that people loved him and felt the need to kidnap him or dognap him, if you will. And um, again, I can't make this crap up, that the things that people would do. Like uh, a woman got a hold of him and uh, I kind of, you know, I went door to door figuring it's got to be somebody local who, who took him. And when I got to the door, she didn't want to give him up. She said uh, she had already taken the grandkids to get the picture taken with him and she showed me a framed picture of Gizmo with her grandchildren, his new family, and I said, but <laughs> you but, just but, got him yesterday. But you didn't try job. to find out if he's... And she's like, well, couldn't I keep him? The grandkids love him. I love him too, he's mine. This escalated quickly. One Very day quick. and she's already getting pictures framed and everything. That's wow. how awesome this dog was. Yeah. I mean, he was my first Bichon. It's a great breed. I, I'm on my fourth Bichon now. I've stuck with the breed, but as wonderful as they are or were, there was this Gizmo was one of a kind. I mean, he would literally, if you came to visit and then went to leave, he would stand on his hind legs and wave goodbye. Who Just did, uh, a who really, the, there um, he is, artwork. waving goodbye. The artwork is done by a young lady named Jamie Forgetta. She actually did the cover for Stupid Cupid as well. So I tried to keep like the, the theme going, you know, the um, similar artwork. And uh, because she was a student starting out, there she is there, Miss Jamie Forgetta. Um, she, she didn't uh, charge me a lot. She allowed me to make a million corrections to get it, you know more my vision so yeah i'm grateful to her there you go. my partner is actually an art major tony and uh he's looking to illustrate my next children's book and so, what's that one going to be about that one is also a pet book um it's going to be something to the effect of what pet to get a little girl exploring the different uh, animals that she sure. could have as a pet and ultimately ends up with a dog spoiler alert but um I heard that Dr. Seuss had something similar, so I need to find that book and, and try to make sure I don't plagiarize. Yeah, you don't want to plagiarize on Dr. Seuss. No. That's really bad. But it wasn't one of his bigger ones, apparently, because I didn't know about it, and I own a lot of his books for my grandkids. So. Ah, all yeah. right. So, Allison, um, uh, where do folks go to learn uh, more about you and check out the books? If you Google me, there's a surprising amount of information that comes out. I am not the hippie chick in Ireland who is a singer and actress and gets confused with me a lot. Um, she's about 70 now, so please don't confuse me with her. She's <laughs> <laughs> probably but, uh, like, why is people looking at my yeah, books? Yeah, who's this I'm chick saying. in America that's getting all I my know, attention? Right. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I write for Motif Magazine. I do theater reviews, so that's one of the first things that will pop up. Nice. But if you are looking for the book, you can just type in, um, you know, Stupid Cupid, O'Donnell, or Allison with one L, please, and it pops right up, or The Adventures of Gizmo, O'Donnell pops right up. Excellent. If you know Providence at all, you know the Biltmore. This thing has an amazing history behind it. And my next guest, author um, Amanda Quay Blunt, actually just dove into the history of this thing as part of a project to just get to know the city. Yeah, yeah. Okay, 
Uh, how did how did this book uh, become uh, your project, though? Um, so yeah, I um, well, it was 2020. Is that how every good story <laughs> so starts? Every good story. It was 2020. <laughs> the world stopped. Yes, the world and I had stopped. Time. But, and I had time. I was stuck at home, and I really wanted to read about the the Biltmore Hotel because I had recently moved to Providence um, from New Jersey, and I thought the hotel was really cool. I assumed it was haunted. I thought there was probably. <laughs> I don't think that's your assumption. I assumed it was haunted. So I, it's I thought, ghosts. But I'm also I'm a history nerd. I was a history major. I um, I just love 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 history. So I thought, hey, why don't I read a book about the Biltmore while I'm stuck at home? There wasn't one. No one's Wait. written a book about the Biltmore before. Hold on, hold the phone. Here. Yeah, hold the phone. There was no books about this thing. No books, no books. And in fact, it's only been mentioned in two other books about architecture. Okay. So there was really no history written about the hotel. I contacted the hotel. They had nothing written on their own about their, except for like a blurb on their website. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to start researching. And if there are interesting stories, maybe I'll put them together. But at that time, it wasn't a book book plan. It was just a COVID boredom plan. Sure. Um, well, two years later and 14,000 newspaper articles later, I had collected enough information to write this book. Meet Me at the Biltmore, which is such a great title, too. Thank you. I, I stole it. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yep. Um, there was an uh, article from the 1950s, uh, from the 1960s, rather. A woman was lamenting about when life was much easier in, in the world and everything had gotten so hard in the 1960s. But she said, remember the good old days when you would just pick up the phone and say, hey, what are you doing? Meet me at the Biltmore. And so she put that in her article, so that um, I stole it. But all ideas are stolen, right? Oh, yeah. Hey, you know... <laughs> If, if 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 it's a good idea, it's worth stealing. Yes, absolutely. And I have to say, the 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 book was incredibly fun to research. Right. Um, I really got to know Rhode Island history. I got to know Providence's history. I got to find out um, some true crime, which I personally love. There was a lot of scandal and crime at the hotel. Um, a lot of mobsters and crooked politicians and uh, some death, some murder, you know, some good stuff. So, All right. Example of true crime. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, well, Raymond Petriarca, who many people know in yeah. Rhode Island, his very first job when he was 12 was as a bellhop at the hotel. And it is um, my theory, at least, that he had his entree into the criminal underworld at the hotel at the time because it was during Prohibition, and he was um, working very, very closely with some very big bootleggers who were actually living at the hotel at the time. Oh. Yeah. Cool. And this is all just through, like, news, ar um, um, yeah. uh, news articles? And yeah, so criminal records in the paper. The, the old newspapers used to love really sensational oh, yeah. headlines and really wild things. So, <laughs> used um, to? Well, right, exactly. They still do, right? Um, they were a little more accurate then, I think. Ah. I'm hoping. Um, I didn't feel like I needed to fact check it. To, if it was in the Providence Journal, I felt like it probably happened, but yeah. maybe not exactly okay. how they said it. Um, but yeah, so I, my process was I went to uh, the historic archives and I just typed in the word Biltmore and I started five years before the city, the hotel was built. So I started in 1917 and I read every article that had the word Biltmore in it for the hundred years after that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to spend your lockdown. Yeah, it was great. And um, because everything was locked down, I had to do this in my car because the only way I could access the journal archives was through the community college's web base. And I wasn't allowed in the building. So I sat in my car. I spent 350 hours in my car um, reading articles. You tracked that? Yeah. Wow. I'm a real nerd. 
I can like see a this. Real and one. this is cool. Yeah. This is cool. So it's a really, really fun book. Each chapter is a different story about something that's happened at the hotel over the course of 100 years. And um, really cool, interesting people have stayed at this hotel. Since you brought it up, is it actually haunted? I think so. Okay, what's the, uh, what do you, uh, what'd you, what'd you find that kind of leads so, to think that? I'm a real skeptic. I'm not a big ghost stories person. Sure. Um, I mean, I, I was hoping it was haunted, but I wanted to be able to prove it at least. So, um, I, and I don't, I don't watch paranormal shows. I don't believe in like doors slamming and that kind of stuff. But I will say a lot of guests who are not paranormal activity hunters, um, have reported over the years that they've opened their window blinds and they've seen someone falling by the window. And they've called down to the front desk and said, someone just jumped out of the hotel. Yeah. Like, And they've called, like, frantic that someone was committing sure, suicide. Yeah. Um, so this has generated a lot of buzz in the ghost hunting world. Um, you'll see in a lot of ghost anthologies this a mention of this. Now, a story has been fabricated to match this sighting about a banker during the stock market crash who threw himself out of a window. Yeah. I will say I went through all of the death records for that year and the following year, and I could not find a suicide at the hotel at that time. However, I did find later in my research a woman who had committed suicide on the same side of the building by jumping out of a window um, in the 1940s. So I did my research. I looked at all of the different um, accounts of people um, seeing the ghost. And it appears that that is probably the ghost that they're seeing because um, it's the same side of the building yeah. that it's always reported. And she was in um, a room up at the top of the building and threw herself out of a window. So uh, she's in the book. It's chapter 20. It's called The Woman at the Window. Um. <laughs> no, no, because I know how this goes. Yeah. I'm going to read this chapter and all of a sudden she'll You're going like, to go to the hotel. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like on the other side floating there. No. So I did stay at the hotel while for two nights while I was finishing writing the book. And yeah. I have to tell you, I opted not to open my windows. I would be tempted to, but yeah, same thing. I was nah, like, I don't want to see nah. it. I just want to write about it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> So was was like that like the only like haunted story you found? Um, there have been lots of people saying that they've heard people running down hallways yeah. and things like that. The reality is the hotel was synonymous with an apartment building, which many luxury hotels were. So many many people lived and died at this hotel. Hundreds of people sure. have died in this building. Yeah. So I could there is no way to know who's haunting it, but I I will say that if anyone is haunting the Biltmore, I think it's probably Buddy Cianci. Oh. Everyone because knows who that guy is. He loved this hotel and yeah. he did some really scandalous things in it. So um, I included some, but I didn't include all because I was told not to um, by people who were did not want me to include certain stories. But oh. I, I included some, and um, I will say that uh, Buddy really loved this hotel. He saved it from demolition in the 1970s. He was very much a part of keeping the hotel open, and then he moved into it right before he went to prison. So. Um, I think if somebody's haunting those halls, it's probably our buddy. It's, it's probably our buddy buddy. Yeah, our buddy buddy. <laughs> How do you decide what stories to include and what to kind of like leave out? Yeah, it's a great question. I honestly just picked the ones that interested me um, because there were so many that uh, it would have been really hard to put it all in there. They, <laughs> if they interested in me, and, and I think um, if they had a common theme that I thought other people could get behind. Um, everybody loves prohibition, speakeasies, and yeah. bootleggers, and illegal activity. So there's a lot of crime. Um, there's a lot of good Rhode Island political criminal activity, because that all happens there, of course. Um, and then I also really tried to do justice to the people who have 
made the hotel what it is. So a lot of the people who've worked there, I've put their stories in there. Um, there are lots of people who worked there for 50 years or 60 years, so I put them in the book. Um, I really tried to make it a contribution to Rhode Island history. Nice. It just shocks me that something this famous and this well known had nothing about it. I know. So you, you Gold expect mine. to be the first person. Yes. <laughs> now I can't write anything else. <laughs> I've, do- I've or, done myself. Or you, or you can find other famous hotels to write about. That's a good idea. And also find know. their ghost stories. Yes. Well, this was a really um, exciting book to read and sure. write. I mean, to read about all the research and then to write. Um, I think I, I would have a hard time finding a hotel that was as interesting as the book. Yeah, definitely. Um, were, were there any stories that you were kind of curious about but couldn't find any, like, proof about? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I There are. Um, there's, a, there's a chapter in the book called Thrice Scorned, and it's about a woman who, um, in the 19... Um, between 1920 and 1940, three times inherited uh, multi-millions of dollars, once from her father, once from her husband, who she married on his deathbed, and then once from her mother after her. <laughs> that, is, that isn't suspicious at all. Yeah. Not at all. No, exactly. Um, and and uh, multiple times her fortune was stripped from her by a judge. So um, I couldn't find the amount that I wanted on her, yeah. but she is in the book. Um, I think that she deserves her own book because she had a really tragic life. But she ended up becoming a recluse and moving into the hotel and dying in the hotel. So she might be haunting the hotel too, actually. <laughs> We should go. We should definitely go and go like investigate these things. Yes, I think we probably should. No, we shouldn't actually. <laughs> no, I actually not. am not good at that. I'm really scared of ghosts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because like I'm scared of ghosts in my own house. Like I'm just like I don't even like having the lights off. No, no, that, that's fair. <laughs> so, what is next for you now that this book is out there? Well, I'm really hoping people read it. Um, I will say the hotel has um, has purchased a copy. Um, has purchased multiple copies and oh, has cool. them, they're selling them there. So I just really hope that this is a, is helpful to people. It's a good compilation of Providence history that hasn't been written before. And I think I'd like to dive into a few of the stories that are in here. There's a couple really weird characters who have done really strange things. And I would love, love, love the time now to get really into their lives. Cool. Give, uh, give an example of one of these really weird characters doing really strange things. Yeah, so there's this guy, Duty Flint, um, who was really... Um, uh, famous when he was famous, so famous in the 1920s, and then he kind of went into like, like total anonymity. But um, he was Henry Ford's biggest automobile dealer when the Model T or Model oh, A yeah. first came out. Can't remember which came first, the A or the T. I think the A. Um, and he sold the most Ford cars of anyone in the United States, and he made millions and millions of dollars. Um, and then he lost all of his money. Um, very like abruptly um, and I explain why in the book um, but he uh, mysteriously perhaps or not so mysteriously then um, burned his own house down for the insurance money oh my God. and moved into the Biltmore Hotel with his wife and oh. child um, and then he lived there for the rest of his life so he lived there for like 20 or 30 years um, and uh, he kind of just faded away in, in, in because he was no longer a millionaire and I think he was living at the hotel for free um, but he's somebody that I would love to dive more into. Sure. There's not a lot about him. I couldn't actually even find a picture of him. So I've got some research to do there. But there's a lot of people like that who 
did some very questionable things in their lives. Have you heard back from, from um, anyone who, who either like lived at the hotel or stayed there or just was kind of like a history buff? Um, I've talked to a bunch of people who worked at the hotel, yeah. um, and I spoke to some of the former general managers who lived there. Um, and then the uh, recently, I just met with someone who is 94, and he knew a bunch of the characters that I wrote about in my book. Um, because he was an attorney in Providence at the time. And so he got telling me some really great stories about people. Um, so I have, so I've started to meet people. I think, I'm hoping that as people read the book, they reach out to me and tell me their Biltmore story. Oh, definitely. Well, Amanda, thank you for joining me. I appreciate this. Uh, this book looks absolutely amazing. And the cover art is so very cool. Oh, thanks. Where'd you get this picture? Um, uh, my publisher picked it, actually. Oh. Yeah, it's a it's a Prohibition era, uh, sort of the big it's band. It's so iconic, too. Yeah, it is. It's very cool. It fit, well, there were a lot of good parties at that hotel, so I think it fit well. Um, where do folks go to learn more about you and check the book out? Really simple. It's BiltmoreBook.com. Excellent. Yeah. And guys, this is going to be a fun one, okay? We're talking hard. Love this. Love this stuff. Author Richard Zendes joins me. Richard, thank you so much. It's cool to be uh, talking with you. Thank you very much. All right. Yeah. So let's talk about this book, A Haunting in Mattapoisa. It's my number one seller. Yep. I uh, sold quite a few copies of this book. And, uh, and, and of course, I have, it's a story about a house full of ghosts. Now, these people move in. They get haunted by this ghost to a point where they're going to move out. Then real estates can't sell the house for six years. Finally, another family moves in, five or six people at a time. It's like a Cape Carter, and they get haunted by a second ghost. So they move out for the same problem. Six years later, can't sell the house. These people buy their witchcraft practices and now the, the, the house is infested with ghosts that's already there fighting with other ghosts from other places. The third family that moved in were from Maine and brought this powerful ghost from Maine to, to Mattapoisa and, and, and they're, they're all fighting with one another and then uh, they get chased out and the same problem keeps happening. So the real estate gets sued. And I guess they go out of business. Oh, that's when the main the ones from Vermont, right, comes back comes in. A worldwide was it uh, real estate. Big big powerful one. They bring the ghost that they just got rid of back to Matter Poison. And everything just goes haywire. Mm. I love it. So, 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 where did the idea for this whole story come from? Uh, uh, people from Mattapoise are telling me about these funny stories. Okay. So <laughs> I, I just, I just make up my own. So you could tell me something like a little thing, and I'll make a story out of it. Nice, nice. So, so is like Mattapoise? Are there a lot of ghost stories around the area? Yes. Oh yeah. Okay, so I'm never going to Mattapoise. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not that bad. But. Uh, <laughs> I got a couple more books to write first, but I'm thinking about writing a second book of this because I, re I really enjoy this book. I really do. It's my best seller. And uh, 
I'm thinking of, uh, of, of making a sequel. And if I do the sequel, it's going to be a lot different than the first one. It now, won't be family here, family there, family there, like that. Okay. Now, are you like a long-time horror fan? Yes, big time. Uh, yeah. What's your big time. What's favorite like horror book and movie? My favorite movie is Misery. Nice. From uh, with Stephen King. Good choices. I like uh, the Night Shift with all the rats. Okay. Okay. No. Nope. The one with the um, the big giant snakes was that that the, the fog. The mist. Oh my God! Yes. There's another one. That, that that one terrified me. That was a good one. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. I have five books all together. The first one, Ground of the Devil, it's about a meteorite that came from space and crashed in the moon of Connecticut, and this devilish-like creature come, comes out, goes on its attack. And it was a female. So the second book I wrote, the sequel is more of a comedy, has 14 demons. And uh, they don't spray fire like the mother, but they do the damage like the mother did, and they're all different. Some of them are birds, some of them are land creatures, some of them are whale shark devils, some of them are flying hyenas, uh, bat birds, etc. Some of them are insects, giant mosquito demons. And uh, nope. a lot of the, uh, the, the demons had siblings. They were pregnant with all these little demons. So it came to a point where the military had to use fire guns to kill them all. <laughs> nice. That's my fifth book. One, Crown of the Devil, five was the sequel. My second book, The Revelation of Emma Grace, it's about a hur yeah, hurricane that gets trapped over an erupting volcano. It attacks a naked, it attacks an island in the Atlantic where the United States used to practice bombs dropping nuclear bombs on, practicing getting ready for the first Iraqi war. And it looks like a naked lady in the water. It had the rocks, the rocks is the stomach, the head is uh, it's like a, a sand dune with grass that looks like a head, and even has a couple of rocks sticking up in the water, looks like the boobs, and even has the nipples on them. And then the volcano is between its legs, and the legs even a long, long piece of uh, rock, and it looks like it has feet at the end. <laughs> and it even has arms and, and hands sticking out, and there's beaches all around it. Huh. So, they had to stop dropping the bombs because it was killing the sea life. So they had to, then these rich people came in, the Sandbergs from England, and wanted to the resort here but they were saying this is a military island we love the thought but we'll give it a shot you have half the island but you, the other half belongs to the military and we have a, um, a bunker that belongs to us so if we can make money you're more than welcome so they put a resort on there and there's all these funny things that happen in that. And then uh, when Hurricane Emma Grace, it's the second part of the story, comes in and destroys it. So they have a, um, a um, world convention at the hotel that, that was built on the, this little island. 
and they said this volcano has never erupted. We've dropped bombs in there, nuclear bombs has never erupted. Lo and behold, they have this world convention meeting. The president of the United States was there. Tom Brady was the president in this book. And after he leaves, the volcano explodes. And then the island was destroyed by the hurricane when it came, Emma Grace. And of course, my third book, this one right here, The Haunting Amount of Place I was just talking about earlier, it's about uh, the house full of ghosts. And then my fourth book, Hell Under the United States, talks about all the volcanoes erupting across the United States and what would actually happen if these volcanoes did erupt. Now, first, first the, the, it, the story begins with the steam eruptions in New York. It's been blowing up the, the sewer lines, covers, uprooting sea life, killing people, breaking windows, but it doesn't throw great white sharks through 47-story windows. But it does uproot the sea life from the Hudson River onto city streets. Then it talks about uh, Blue Hills. If that mountain erupted, what would happen? Uh, Curry College gets annihilated in that story. Then Oops. Block Island gets blown out of the water from a volcano, and, and it tells what would happen if if uh, that happened. Um, first of all, it starts with a, a lava flow on, uh, uh, on Beacon Hill inside Block Island. Then later on, they have a 4th of July. Everybody gets together and everything, and, that, and that's when the volcano erupts. Kills 4,000 people. They have a seven-foot tsunami, seven to 20-foot tsunami, destroys Narragansett, Wesley, and all that stuff. And then what happens in this book, it tells the story that there's a crater about 75, 76 miles under the six New England states. If that erupted, Mount Scutney in Vermont would be the first one to go. So it talks about a 3,100 foot mountain erupting and, and, and that damages, damage and annihilates Adamsville, Vermont. And then then it starts triggering all across the world, the United States side. It hits the West Coast, Mount St. Helens goes off again, Mount Hood goes off, Mount Rainier goes off, Mount Baker, all those, three, talks about Three Sisters Island, Oregon. What would happen if that had gone off? Uh, what's that one in California? It's a big volcano in California. Uh, I forgot the name of it. But it talks about Alaska. What would happen if, uh, I think it's the old Mount McKinley, it's another name now. That has erupted a couple of times. But, I mean, it literally blows Alaska right off the map. And then they all erupt along the, the chain. What's the name of those islands? They, they all go off at the same time. And then uh, it talks about that several volcanoes go off an hour, an hour ahead of each other. Starts at 11.02, 12.02, 1.02 and all that. Different volcanoes erupting. It's more of a fantasy book, but it does tell what would happen if these 
volcanoes actually erupted. All right. All right. Well, Richard, thanks. Uh, uh, thanks for coming here and talking about the books. And folks at home, you go to richardrezendiz.com for more information. If you happen to be in the area, come on down. Richardrezendiz.com, yeah. That's right. Uh, the show is going You'll see through. all five books. That's right. So, and my email address is rezendiz underscore richard at yahoo.com. Over go. here, if you want to contact me, my phone number is 401-692-8198. Uh, these little cards, you can contact me. Or you can order my books, the Stillwater Books in downtown Pawtucket. Uh, it's in bookstores, it's in libraries, it's on Barnes & Noble, it's on Amazon. And that's how you contact me. There you go. You look at my webpage, you'll see all my books. Oh, one more note before I leave. I'm in the process of publishing another one. I'm halfway done. The name of that one is Windy Outbreaks. Talks about tornadoes. Wind storms, winter storms, hurricanes, etc. And the cover design is going to have a tornado with the Wizard of Oz house flying in it, Dorothy's dog flying upside down. It, it's going to have a, 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 a semi, a 30 wheel semi tipped over with, 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 uh, those ducks, what do you call it? Canadian geese stuck in the tires. A cow laying down, upside down. Uh, three white horses running away from the twister. That would be the cover design. And it's about windstorms. Ah, looking forward to it. That book will be published probably by this summer or late next year. 